We know that kindness buffers stress. We know that, you know, kindness helps people live longer in all these different areas of our lives. And being kind to ourselves is also a big part of that. This is The Fit Mess with Zach and Jeremy. Hello and welcome to The Fit Mess. I am Jeremy along with my co-host Zach. What's up, everyone? Happy New Year. I hope the uh, celebrations and the holiday season were good to you and uh, and you're ready to take on whatever challenges this uh, crazy year and decade have uh, in store for us. Our guest this week is uh, Dr. Kelly Harding. She's the author of The Rabbit Effect, and we'll get into how uh, her book breaks basically breaks down uh, how kindness is such a major contributor to not only your mental health, but your physical health. It's a fascinating conversation, a fascinating book. We'll get into that uh, in just a little bit. Um, but, you know, here we are, New Year's. Uh, I don't know. Are you are you much of a resolution guy, Zach? Not really. I think I used to be and realized that every time I did, I just, by, by Valentine's Day, whatever I resolved to do was was gone. It, yeah. Mostly because it was it was something large and and un, unobtainable, like you know, at the time you know not working out at all, and then saying I'm going to work out seven days a week. Right. It just you can't do it. Like so, from a resolution standpoint, I have a couple of small things that I want to implement this year, mm-hmm. but you know, it it's nothing really large, nothing daunting because that's where i fail yeah i know for in my case the the idea of a resolution always fails because i'm doing it at an arbitrary time it's you know the calendar changes so that's the day that there's going to be some major change and i know that every time i've had any successful change or or successfully accomplished a goal it's been because i was just ready to do it and i was ready to do it now it wasn't you know i'll put this off until Wednesday at midnight, and then boy, I'm things are going to be different because because they're not. It's the, you're still the same person living the same life until you make that mental switch that says, "Okay, that's enough of that. Let's do this different." Yeah. Uh, so with that in mind, uh, you know, I've kind of been taking stock of this last year, 2019, and um, I don't know about 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 where you know coming up short or failures, but. Uh, Going into this year, I was very heavily motivated to uh, to drop some weight, get in physical shape, um, you know, just take better care of myself physically. And along the way, I ended up going on uh, this retreat for a weekend that really focused on doing a lot of like inner work, you know, really working on sort of a spiritual or mental health uh, sort of um, project. And it was really profound. I've talked about it a few times on this show, and it made a big difference in sort of the way I lived. And uh, and while a lot of that has faded, I still remember coming away from that. I was I just had this much more positive outlook. I felt really confident in myself. I, I believed that I had finally sort of become the person I was always meant to be. And and again, that has sort of. Uh, faded as life grinds you down and you sort of get back into normal. Um, so I don't know that, that this is a resolution, but, uh, I know that so much of, of my work going into this year was, was focused on physical fitness. I want to focus more in the next year on sort of my spiritual or emotional fitness, um, because I know that that only bleeds out into what my physical fitness is. I know that it has an effect on my body and can help me to be uh, a healthier person inside and out. Yeah, it's it's better. I don't know. I feel like a resolution is 
is trying to do one or two things differently, but um, having that that goal or viewpoint of where you want to be at the end of next year, that, I think that's more important. Mm-hmm. I think for me this year, though, is is really just going to be a, a focus on making sure that my body is operating at its at, at peak performance, and that that's not just working out. That's you know feeding it healthy and you know, I tend to stress eat. So, you know, Oh, let's, let's talk about that for a minute because the holidays just ended and Uh I ate like a dumpster fire. I mean, just, (laughs) it was ridiculous. I think after Thanksgiving, I sort of had this, uh, you know, Oh, I'm going to stay clean till Christmas because then the parties, it'll be, you know, too much of a challenge and, you know, give yourself a break, yada, yada. That lasted like a week. And I, I went pretty hard, uh, working out every day and all that. But, the food, I, I am powerless when I'm surrounded by crap food and then add to it the stress of just, you know, life projects and holidays and just the day to day. And I just collapsed and especially uh, sort of getting through the holidays and, and the leftovers of uh, after hosting parties and stuff. I was literally just eating pieces of pie to get them out of the house. Uh huh. Like, yep, I, sure, I could, I could have thrown them away. That would have been the responsible, healthy thing to do. But part of me was like, just go. You're already you're already a mess. The train's already left the station. <laughs> just park it and be done. Get this stuff out of the house. And then, you know, again, the arbitrary New Year's, once the once the holidays have ended, a lot of that stress goes away. And so does the the temptation of the parties and, and the food that's out and, and all that. Um, but oh my God, I just, I mean, there was a day where I think I only ate baked goods. Yep. I had a couple of days like that too. It was just, it was the cookie day. Oh yeah. my God. It was. And the fact that New Year's Eve was on a Wednesday this year uh-huh. was even worse because my whole thought process, whenever I start something new, I tend to start it on a Monday. Sure. Cause you so, start the routine of the week and all that. Yeah. Or I'm sorry. New Year's day was on a Wednesday. So, you know, I, was ta- I was talking myself out of all of my New Year's stuff and saying, oh, but it's Wednesday. You can't do it because it's right. not Monday. Just so, wait you, till the you sixth. know, you'll get a couple extra days in there. Yeah. Oh, it's the it was worst. great. It's the worst. It was great, but it's the worst. Uh, and I was I was pleasantly surprised. I got on the scale this morning. I've been uh, avoiding it. And I got on the scale and I was like, all right, all right. I, you know, I earned that. That's... <laughs> It's not. It's not a lot, but it's enough to be upsetting. Uh, but I did it to myself. I, I knew I did, and now it's time to turn it around. So. Yep. But this was the same conversation we had last year. So it's the same conversation I so, had last week. Come on, I have this conversation yeah. with myself every weekend. But Monday, back on the horse, buddy. Drink the coffee. Yeah. Do the fasting. Hit the gym. And then by Tuesday, I'm like, oh, I'm tired. I don't think I can do by this. By Tuesday, anymore. I usually fail by Monday afternoon. <laughs> Monday afternoon, exactly. <laughs> done uh, out and then i have to wait an entire week because god forbid no, i can't, can't start yeah. on a tuesday you can't start it on a tuesday or a wednesday or thursday that just doesn't make any sense yeah uh, no it doesn't but Jeez. you just got to keep trying uh so speaking of trying uh, our guest uh, on this episode dr kelly harding she wrote a very interesting book uh, the rabbit effect live longer happier and healthier with the groundbreaking science of kindness uh this is going to be difficult for me because uh i I definitely have some room to improve in the kindness category. I'm a nice guy. Don't get me wrong. People, people who know me, they love me. That's just how it is. I, I know this about me. What, what people are you talking <laughs> yeah, to? Yeah, exactly. 
Uh, no, I, I am generally a nice guy. But if I'm on my bike and you almost run me over, you're going to hear some colorful language. Uh, I'm going to think some colorful thoughts. Uh, I have a office uh, environment where there are certain people that demand a lot of attention. Uh, they're, they're very distracting. Uh, these things wear me down to the point where I start speaking my mind uh, when it's very frustrated and angry. Um, so these are some things that are going to be tough for me to, to try and let go of that anger and, and forgive people that almost kill me with their giant SUVs uh, or who have distracted me for the 14th time in the last six minutes. Um, but this is, this is where I think it needs to start for me is trying to not default to anger or frustration, but to default to kindness and compassion for the people that just didn't see me because they weren't looking or, or whatever. Um, the bike, the bike thing is, is tough for me because that's where it's, it all comes down to lack of consideration from other people when, when they're not aware of how their actions affect other people. And we're all guilty of it when you're driving your car you yeah. sort of become in your own universe and everyone around you is the enemy or, or it's your obstacle or whatever. Uh, so I get it. But as a, as a bicyclist who has almost hit, you know, several times a day, uh, it gets really frustrating and really wears me down. So it's hard to have compassion for them in their situation. Cause all I care about is not dying on my way to work. Right. Um, so that's, those are like the two key places where I need to start is just letting go of the anger and being okay with, other people are living their lives and I just happen to be in their way or they happen to have gotten in my way this time. Um, but for more on, on the science of how this work works and how really just being kind or, or accepting the kindness of others can physically, dramatically change your life, uh, we talked to Dr. Kelly Harding, the author of The Rabbit Effect, and we had to start with the obvious question, what is the rabbit effect? I have to wonder, when you wrote this book, did you have any idea you would be talking so much about rabbits? <laughs> it is really funny because I didn't have much of a relationship with rabbits before the book, but I've really gotten to know a lot about them <laughs> subsequently. So, I, I would imagine. It's, also, it's funny because for a lot of people that maybe haven't read the book or just have heard the title, they assume it's about animals, um, which it's not. Um, it, there is a, a story that's significant that I'll tell you about, but it's it just kind of cracks me up. So, you know, I've ended up like talking a lot more about animals than I realized too. But uh, so, so, so the rabbit effect, the, the book gets its, its name from this study that was done back in the 1970s. And what I think is really cool about this study, Jeremy, is it was designed for like a totally different purpose, but like some of the coolest scientific findings that are out there, it was because some researchers were like really paying attention to what was going on and they figured out something completely awesome. So, um, so what it was is Dr. Robert Neerum, who is a really terrific basic science researcher, was looking at, uh, you know, the relationship between cholesterol and heart health. And um, the way that that was being studied in the 70s was, you know, giving some basically genetically identical rabbits all the same high-fat diet. So, you know, at the end of the study, they expected all the rabbits to, you know, basically be like teed up for like a rabbit heart attack and stroke. But what they found was that one of the groups of rabbits had way better health outcomes than the other groups. And when I say way better, I mean like 60% difference, you know, heart health profile outcomes versus the other group. 
And um, they thought there was something wrong with the protocol. They double-checked it. And eventually, they figured out that the protocol was fine. But the difference was that all those rabbits were being cared for by the same researcher. And it turns out she wasn't just feeding the rabbits. She was actually picking up the rabbits. She was petting the rabbits. She was basically giving them love and kindness. And um, so they repeated the experiment and they got the exact same results again. Uh, And they published it in the very prestigious journal Science. And, um, you know, when I heard about this study as a doctor, I was totally blown away because, um, you know, that's not the way that I imagined biology worked. And it's not the way that most people think about health. Uh, you know, most of us think about health like in terms of like diet and exercise and sleep and the occasional trip to the doctor. But, you know, like that study was the beginning of decades of research that showed our social world is actually like our major impact when it comes to our health. Jeremy, here is the thing that like as a physician just blew my mind. So we know that top-notch medical care, it's important for every single human being, but it probably only accounts for 10 to 20% of someone's overall health. Yeah, that's stunning. So you're probably wondering, yeah, no, it's stunning. So, you know, I think the thing is, you know, it's absolutely a critical 10 to 20%, but at the same time, we have to be asking, like, what else is happening here? So in the rabbit effect, you know, I go through all the data in all these different areas that show our relationships really matter when it comes to our health, and we know that because of large-scale population studies, and we know that also because of increasing advances in, you know, in biological science that shows actually things like our neuroimmune system play a big a big role in you know how we're doing and how we're feeling and it's just incredible because you know what this means is that health isn't you know just hanging out in hospitals and clinics it's happening in our homes like every day with our day-to-day interactions it's happening in our workplaces it's happening in our schools it's happening in our neighborhoods it's happening in our broader community and it's really coming down to how we're treating one another and that's why you know there's such a focus on kindness in the book because we know that kindness buffers stress we know that you know kindness helps people live longer in all these different areas of our lives and being kind to ourselves is also a big part of that. So, um, I mean, that's why it felt so urgent for me to write this book and to try to get the message out well beyond, you know, I sort of like inhabit the world of like hospitals and clinics, but it felt like this is something, you know, we need to be talking about, you know, across the country in our homes and communities and all these different places. So thank you for doing exactly that. Well, I mean, thank you for the book. It's uh, it's very eye-opening because of numbers just like that. And and I wanted to ask you about kindness and I'm I'm just curious does it sort of work both ways? Is it does it help if if I decide suddenly I'm going to take this on, I'm going to just try and be more kind to more people, uh am am I going to get the physical benefit of that or is it is it does it work the other way where you sort of need people to uh, to love and care for you to to see those effects like the rabbits did. Well, I think that's what's so lovely about kindness. And it's so easy because I think, you know, everyone, it's so simple, but yet so hard, right? Like kindness is a practice and we all struggle with it um, no matter who we are. But it's, um, I think the thing to keep in mind is that, you know, we've all experienced kindness and it's easy to, like we can even, you know, take a second and think about somebody who's been kind to us. And, you know, it's kind of like usually when you think about that person, whoever they are, 
you get like this nice warm feeling and it's amazing because we now know that's having like a physiological response in your body and what's really cool is you know like for people who are listening they can reach out to somebody like this afternoon that you know and just send a note of thanks and we know that gratitude is also really good for health so so when it comes to kindness it's both the giving and the receiving and it's interesting to me in particular because I think for people that have maybe struggled with physical illnesses like you may end up getting a lot of kindness directed your way but it's also really important for you know every person to be offering and extending kindness and have opportunities to be kind to others so um, just for an example like we know there's data that you know volunteers live longer which is cool because that means it's not just benefiting, you know, the the group that's receiving the volunteering, but the volunteer themselves does better. And, you know, that's, that's pretty amazing, right? Like to look at that data and just think like, geez, like, you know, it, it's free. It helps everyone. It's a win-win all around. So like we should all be doing this in whatever way we can. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, if, if I can, let's, let's take it back into the doctor's office then. And how in, in, in a, in a, world nation i guess that thrives on money and getting you know patients in and out as quickly as possible and sending them away with pills how do you turn the tide when when that's that's the machine you're up against if you go to your doctor and you can't quite figure out what it is and and we now know very little uh, that's actually happening in the doctor's office maybe is uh, contributing to our health how do we convince insurance companies to cover the things that would expose us to more kindness, whether it's, you know, therapy or, you know, other forms of alternative medicine that, that maybe can open those doors and, and, and help people find that kindness to, to get better? Well, so that's, I mean, the big thing is we have to just mentally make the shift that health goes beyond healthcare. So, you know, like taking that, like making that aha moment as a nation, as individuals and as a nation is big because, you know, when it comes to medical care, I think we invest, it's like 95 cents out of every dollar goes towards healthcare itself. And when you look at sort of like population data around the world, we know we spend nearly twice as much GDP wise on healthcare compared to other places and other wealthy nations. And yet we have you know, far lower returns on that investment. And part of it is because we're not investing in our, you know, our social infrastructure, like all these other things, including our mental health. And, you know, I think that's where the work you're doing is so critical. And for all the people listening, like, you know, a big, you know, elephant in the room is that our mental health really matters when it comes to our physical health. And, you know, when you look at sort of how mental health is covered in this country, and actually it's something I talk about a lot in the rabbit effect is, you know, we often carve out our, even though there's this idea that, you know, the, the mind is coming from the brain, we somehow carve out our mental health in this country and it's often not reimbursed. It's, um, you know, sort of like a side thing, like even for people who've maybe spent time in the hospital, it's often like a physically separate hospital from the rest of it. And we need to recognize, you know, of course, like our mind and our body are connected and we need to be addressing people in a way that addresses people, like the whole person, you know, um, I think, we now know like statistics that like loneliness is as significant a risk factor to health as, 
things like, you know, smoking 15 cigarettes a day or, uh, you know, even obesity or drinking a lot of alcohol to excess, like um, even high blood pressure. It's amazing. But, you know, usually your doctor will ask you those questions. And now we know that doctors also need to be asking, like, you know, do you have someone that you're close to, even just one person that you can talk to when things are, you know, rough? Um, Do you have supports that you can reach out to when, when things aren't going your way. Um, so it's not going to be all the doctor's responsibility. And that's actually the other reason I wrote the rabbit effect is because for every single listener, we need to be thinking about how we can support the people in our lives better. And, you know, that's our families, that's our neighbors, that's our coworkers. It's, um, you know, it's, supporting education. We know that education is actually a huge factor when it comes to health. There's a stat that also blows my mind. It's like, you know, for every one life saved by biomedicine, education saves eight. And so just think about that for a moment, because we just talked about how we invest, you know, in our health in this country, but we don't necessarily invest in education in the same way, but yet it's got this incredibly protective effect when it comes to our health and well-being. When when you talk about loneliness, that's something that really resonated with me because as someone who uh, has battled depression my entire life, um, that I think that is the the strongest feeling um, when you're in the depths of it. No matter how many close friends you have, no matter I'm I'm married, I have kids, I'm surrounded by people that you know assure me they love me and and all of the things. Um, but you know when times are their darkest. It is a a desperately lonely feeling, and I don't know how to uh, other other than to just share that that's how I feel uh, in those times. I don't know what to share with someone who hears that and goes, "Yeah, me too," because it's also the hardest time to reach out and ask for help. It's the hardest time to pick up the phone and go, "Hey, you know, I, when you said I could call you at three in the morning, well, here I am." Um, so I don't know. I don't. Maybe maybe I'm reaching too far with this. But what what would you say to someone who who battles with that desperate, lonely feeling, uh, and and maybe offer some hope to to overcome it? Well, first of all, I want to just tell you by you sharing your story. I mean, that takes so much courage, and you know, I think that's the really important thing is not it's just letting people know they're not alone in feeling that way. And there's great power in that. I mean, I think the thing is, you know, we live in an age where you're seeing all this stuff on social media and all you have to do is Google, why do I feel so, and see what comes up. It's like, why do I feel so lonely or why do, or why does everyone else, you know, seem successful or, you know, it's like, it's kind of amazing. Like the fill in the blank, it's, or why do I feel so hopeless? Why do I feel mm-hmm. so tired? Like all those things. Like, I mean, that's the thing. Like we, Google probably knows better than anybody. It's like, that's what people are searching because people feel alone, even though they're surrounded by all this technology, even though, you know, you may have people in the house, you may have somebody in the same bed. Like, you know, that's, that's the amazing thing. We know that loneliness is both the quantity and quality of our relationships. And, um, you know, I think it was Elvis Presley that said he felt lonely in a crowded room. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we, we have to be thinking about our relationships. And I, I think, you know, the big service is to just kind of put it on the table and say like, okay, like our relationships actually really matter. And ideally what we'll do is invest in our relationships across different areas of our life so that when things do get rough, you know, the 
when the turbulence strikes, it's like we've got that safety net already in place. And so, um, but, you know, the other thing is there's this thing called the loneliness loop where, you know, it's kind of like when you don't feel good or you don't feel connected to people, the last thing you want to go do is actually go hang out with mm-hmm. people, right? Yes. Um, but um, so this tends to spiral out of control. And for people who work in mental health or who've experienced depression, like they know what this is about, right? So, so the question is like, how can you kind of break out of that? And, you know, everyone's going to have to find something that works for them. But um, the big thing is just trying to figure out like ways that you can connect that make you feel good and connected to other things. And we also know from the studies that you want to try to do it in as many areas as possible. You know, a really, I guess there, there's some, there's the like little things in your day-to-day life that actually add up in a really impressive way. Um, like little things, like when you're at the store getting your coffee in the morning, like just like looking the person in the eye or um, when you're at the grocery store, or the cashier, like I feel like we're all looking at like the card machine now. We're not even like making eye contact with the person who's like giving us, you know, our receipt or, mm-hmm. um, or chatting with the person in line behind you. Um, also things like, you know, taking a class, if there's something you're interested in, like just sign yourself up. Like all you have to do is take one step. And I think, um, you know, it can feel so overwhelming when you're stuck in that loneliness loop, but whatever you can do to kind of take one step to get you out of it, there's a lot of power in action and reaching out. And, you know, not everybody you reach out to is going to respond, but some people you'll, you'll be surprised. Like the more you do, the better you feel oftentimes. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we've seen that time and time again, that being said also, for people who are listening who maybe aren't feeling lonely, think about reaching out to somebody who you feel may need an extra, you know, time to hang out or a chat or, you know, even just sending someone a note to say you're thinking about them. You never know what's going on in that person's life. So it may be just the thing they need to hear. Absolutely. I was I was going to ask you for uh, for some takeaways, but uh, I think you've kind of given them to us in, in the form of just trying to be there for some. I guess I guess I'll just ask: Is there anything else important here that that we didn't touch on that you want to make sure people know about? Oh my gosh! So I mean, like like I said in the book, the rabbit effect. I I cover a lot of ground, and there are like hundreds of ideas. In fact, every chapter I talk about a different area of our health, and then also give a toolkit with suggestions and ideas. Because I think, you know, there's there's a practical aspect to this, and it it really comes down to our day to day lives and thinking about, you know, how we can treat each other. And you know, I kind of joke you could probably like throw out a lot of our rules and just rewrite them as be kind and um, and just think about in the Chinese choices of your life like what can you do to add a little kindness to other people and yourself and and again it's like it's so much easier often to be kinder to others than to ourselves but think about think about what that might involve oh there's one other thing I do want to add and um, I think sometimes kindness gets a bad rap is like being like a pushover but um, you know I think that the reality is that kindness takes a lot of courage and actually like exactly Jeremy, the work you're doing with the show, it's like that takes a lot of courage to be kind and show people that you can have compassion and talk about emotions and that this stuff matters. So, um, just to, just to keep that in mind. And, um, the other thing is like, obviously a a big part of kindness is also navigating conflict in a way that doesn't demean the other people involved. Like, um, so when conflict comes up, like how do you focus on the problem and retain the dignity of all parties involved? And, you know, that's, 
not something most of us have any training in. Like, um, you know, most of us took like a math class or a reading class in school, but very few of us took like a conflict resolution class, even though we probably deal with conflict like a lot more than advanced geometry at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Not not me. I run like hell. If there's a conflict, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I think the stats are kind of startling, especially kids. For listeners that have kids, it's like, I think there's like on average like eight. I, I have three boys, so I see like way more conflict than you can sure. imagine. But it's like, uh, you know, I think the average family has like eight conflicts a day or something. It's like, you know, like we need to know how to navigate that in a way. And we also need to realize that we're better at being kind when we take care of ourselves. So that means like getting a good night's sleep, doing the exercise, you know, thinking about our bodies, like creating some healthy boundaries, um, you know, all that stuff. All that stuff matters. So um, anyway, thank you for the work you're doing and for highlighting the importance of mental health and physical health and just, you know, helping us all feel a little bit less alone. Well, and and thank you for a a very approachable book that uh, I I think a lot of people will find a lot of uh, value in in the the stories that that you share. And just some of the statistics you you shared here, there's there's a lot more in here that will you'll continually pick up your jaw and just go, I can't I can't believe that we've got it so backwards. Uh, and then we all wonder why we're all sick and exhausted and tired all the time. Oh, my gosh, right? Because I think, I mean, that's the other thing is, like, you know, for a lot of people, this makes intuitive sense, but it's really cool to know that there's actually decades of data. I mean, this isn't a new finding, a lot of it, but it's the thing is people just don't know about it. So, you know, I think it's that's where I was really hoping to, like, get a national conversation going that, you know, we need to treat each other with kindness. Definitely. Thank you so much uh, for your time and, and for the book and uh, and for the very kind things you said about uh, me and our show. I, I really appreciate uh, the chance to, to chat with you. Oh, absolutely. Even talking with you, I can tell you really, you really uh, make a difference for a lot of people. All right. Our guest again, Dr. Kelly Harding. The book is The Rabbit Effect. Live longer, happier, and healthier with the groundbreaking science of kindness. You can get that through our website, thefitness.com. Some of the statistics you mentioned about how, you know, basically 10% of healthcare is, you know, what happens in the doctor's office just blew me away when when you consider that the, the social impact of, you know, who we interact with in our daily lives, whether it's home, work, you know, the general public, whatever. Um, that, that was mind boggling to me. I, I had no idea. I mean, I knew it was important, but I had no idea that it's that significant to your well being. Yeah. And I think that really, it lines up with, with, um, all the other people that we've been talking to on the show. I mean, there is this consistent trend of, you know, the mind is able to do so much for the body mm-hmm. and, you know, hearing that, you know, 90% of it can be up in the mind. It's, it's not as surprising now as it would have been a year ago. I think a year ago, I probably would have said something to the effect of, um, that's BS. <laughs> and, but, you know, I, I think I'm on the other side. And yeah. it's, it, it really is fascinating that, you know, your your mental state can really have that much of an impact on your body. Well, and even just the social connection. Again, it goes back to one of our earlier conversations uh, in the existence of this show with uh, with Johan Hari and talking about the connections you have with other people and how vital those are to yeah. keeping you healthy and, and keeping you sane, especially when it's you know you're in a mental health crisis. So like having that safety net of people that care about you. Uh, and knowing how to use it, that's, you know, as I mentioned, that's something I still struggle with when 
when you're in your darkest of moments, the last thing you want to do is pick up the phone and go, Hey, I'm, I'm hurting. Can you help me? Cause it's, right. it's, it's just a dark and lonely place and it's, it's hard to climb out. Yep. But you, you really do need someone to, to be able to contact and it's, it is really critical. Yeah, for sure. Uh, anything else, Zach? What, what am I forgetting? Anything? We got it all? We got a challenge we got to talk oh, about. Oh, a challenge. Though. Challenge. Okay. Well, you know, we've talked a lot about resolutions. Should we just challenge each other to, to try and hold to those for as long as possible? Well, I think we should. I feel like we should redefine it because I can't stand the New Year's resolution. Mm-hmm. I I think that, I you know, the small goals that I've decided to implement in my life are things that I want to be around for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, New Year's resolution always screams to me that it's, you know, I'll do it for 2020. Right. And then after that, I'm, I'm, I'm out. It's, so it's almost, an, it's almost an automatic out by, yeah. by it being something that you're just going to try to do. You basically are giving yourself the out that it's okay to quit. Yeah. So I, I, I would, I would want to challenge you for our first challenge of 2020 and let's, let's get really high level and, almost meta on this that we can (laughs) like, and there's no way to measure it, but you know, I'll challenge you to, you know, think about rather than thinking about a new year's resolution, think about a life resolution, Mm -hmm. something that's going to stick with you forever and that you're going to make a permanent part of your life that, you know, when you slide into the grave, it's going to go with you. Wow. That's, that's dark. (laughs) No way. It's not dark. (laughs) Just it'll be with you forever. Uh, that, yeah, and and ultimately, you know, like I said, being kind, trying to like connect more with others. That's that's sort of where where my uh, intention is set, and you know that will obviously pay dividends well beyond twenty twenty if I can actually do it and actually stick with it. So, uh, so that's where uh, that's where I'll aim. That's what we'll try and work on. Well, you're gonna have to stop being such a jerk. That's true. That see, that's yeah. the hard part. I don't know if I can let yes. that go. Well, that's uh, I think that's going to do it for our first episode of the 2020 campaign. We'll uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with a, a new episode. We have uh, a lot of really great guests lined up uh, coming up in the next few months, but we're also going to be doing some more episodes uh, just just Zach and I. So we'll kind of share a little bit more about uh, our own journeys and and the things that we're actually doing uh, from a day to day basis to improve our overall wellness in, inside and out. So. Um, I hope you'll join us for those. You can subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, all the links are available on our website. Uh, also, I do uh, quickly want to mention that uh, a friend of the show, someone who has introduced this show for, um, I believe, its entire existence, uh, a guy named Pete Combs, was uh, a friend of mine uh, and a colleague, and he sadly passed away uh, shortly before Christmas. And so I just want to acknowledge that uh, he was a, a big supporter and a big believer in this show. And so I just want to send some condolences to uh, his lovely wife and, and family and the just hundreds of people that he affected in, in his career and his lifetime. And, uh, and thanks to him for, for being there for us. Um, but with that, I think we're going to wrap things up and be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, you can find more on us at thefitmess.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. And uh, we will see you next time at thefitmess.com. See you, everyone. 
We know this podcast is amazing and does not seem to lack anything, but we do need a legal disclaimer. Jeremy and Zach are not doctors. They do not play them on the internet, and even if they did play them on the internet, they would be really bad at it. Please consult your physician prior to implementing any changes that you heard on this podcast. The listener assumes that Jeremy and Zach do not know what they are talking about and that you will do your own research on the topics talked about on this podcast.